It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, Britney Spears is doing cartwheels. No, seriously. I mean, she's literally doing cartwheels in a new Instagram video in which she is celebrating a legal victory in her conservatorship case uh, where she has a new lawyer, a lawyer that she picked, not this court-appointed clown who made three million bucks doing what he wanted and not what his client wanted. And so in uh, this Instagram, the caption is, she has real representation, I feel gratitude and blessed, five exclamation points, you have no idea what it means to me to be supported by such awesome fans, God bless you all, P-S-S-S-S, this is me celebrating by horseback riding and doing cartwheels, yeah, I kind of got that, and hashtag free Britney, that doesn't mean that she is free of the conservatorship, and in, and in a kind of teary uh, testimony by phone to the court, she said she wants to go after her father, she wants to bring charges against her father, she obviously doesn't want her dad in charge of her life anymore, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, you know, here's some good news, in fact, kind of amazing scientific breakthrough kind of good news. Um, it has to do with a guy who has been paralyzed Uh, by a car accident since 2003, and he hasn't been able to speak. And now, I mean, I I don't want to oversell this, but this is truly incredible. Scientists have been able to tap into the speech part of his brain, allowing him to produce comprehensible words and sentences by trying to say them. He can't actually speak. His nickname is Pancho. Uh, wants to protect his privacy. And according to this New York Times piece, there are electrodes now implanted in his brain, transmitting signals to a computer, then then displays the words on the screen. The first sentence he was able to speak, according to the researchers, my family is outside. This was published uh, yesterday in the New England Journal of Medicine. Could eventually help many patients with conditions that limit or eliminate their ability to talk. And uh, I guess about half the time he was successful. Uh, He could recognize sentences. So just think about this. Electrodes implanted in your brain in which outsiders can see on a computer screen what you want to say, even though you're physically unable to form the words and get them out. I mean, this is science fiction stuff and just wonderful. And I think potentially... Uh, this could help a whole lot of people. Obviously, you have to wait and see. All right. I'm uh, going to lead today, number one, with Donald Trump. He'll also be number two, because there's all this Trump news coming out. And I have to say, I mean, some of this is serious stuff. Some of this is kind of, well, Donald Trump said he wanted this person executed. Well, obviously, he's blowing off steam. But you got a lot of reporters who have been digging into the former president. And here's the deal, as his successor says. The stuff going on with Joe Biden, yes, he gave, you know, the pretty passionate voting rights speech, but basically it's just a slog. Uh, Infrastructure, voting rights, police reform, nothing's happening. Every single day you turn on the TV and like, well, you know, I spoke to sources today who said there could be the outlines of a deal, blah, 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 blah. Typical boring Beltway stuff. That's not Biden's fault, although he is not the most exciting uh, president we've had in the modern era. In fact, he generated probably the most buzz he ever has on social media uh, by bringing the singer uh, Olivia Rodrigo to the White House. And she read a little thing about how she wants to help um, convince younger people to get vaccinated. You know, the kind of thing that politicians do all the time. They get somebody who's a star, could connect to people, but it's not usually Biden's style. 
At any rate, you know, there's another not-so-hidden reason that all these Trump stories are coming out. It's not just that authors are coming out uh, with books and they're trying to make money and all of that. It's that when you do this, you make headlines. Everybody still in the media wants to write and talk about Donald Trump. He has not been the president of the United States for six months now, and yet he is still a huge news story. Whether it's generating news or allegations or unproven allegations of election fraud on his own, or journalists digging out new things about him. So the one that is getting the most attention right now has to do with a book by two Washington Post reporters, Carol Lennig and Phil Rucker, I Alone Can Fix It. And there's been a number of uh, scenes that have kind of uh, dribbled out as uh, different news organizations have obtained advanced copy of the book. Um, the thing that is making a lot of news now is a write-up in the Washington Post, but I believe it was first broken by CNN, has to do with General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Now, I've written six books. I've been a reporter for a long time. I know how this works. There is so much detail here about what Milley did and what he thought and what he said and what he told this person, in which he kind of comes off as a hero, um, that it is not unreasonable for me to suggest, although obviously I don't know this for a fact, that the authors had to have had some cooperation with General Milley, uh, who obviously, you know, has his own agenda in wanting to make clear what in, in a way that he couldn't when Trump was president, that he fought against what he saw as the horrors of the Trump presidency. You simply would not publish this stuff in the book, even if he wasn't the original source, without confirmation, given that he is the nation's highest ranking military officer. So in this excerpt in the book, General Milley is really, really, really worried about whether or not Trump might try to cling to power after the election. And he compares his rhetoric, rhetoric, and I never think anybody should do this, and I will stick to that position, to Adolf Hitler during the rise of Nazi Germany. Um, but I will report to you what is uh, reported here. Milley described a stomach-churning feeling as he listened to Trump's uh, untrue complaints of election fraud, and he drew the comparison, Milley did, or Milley speaking to the reporters or confirming to the reporters, uh, 1933 attack on Germany's parliament building that Hitler used as a pretext to establish a Nazi dictatorship. This is a Reichstag moment, Milley told aides, uh, referring to that particular incident in the 30s in Nazi Germany. A spokesman for Milley declined to comment. Well, of course, the spokesman doesn't have to comment. It's all in the book. So it all begins when, uh, on November 10th, so this is a few days after the election, uh, Milley is attending a security briefing about the uh, forthcoming Million MAGA march. And he tells people that he's worried about the American equivalent of brown shirts in the streets, Nazi um, enforcers. Um, and he, an old friend called Milley, happened, you know, we just, the reporters just happened to know this, uh, to express concerns that people close to Trump were trying to overturn the government. And the friend says, you are one of the few guys who are standing between us and some really bad stuff, according to Carol Lennig and Phil Rucker. Uh, and so he calls H.R. McMaster, then the former National Security Advisor, to ask whether a coup is actually imminent. What the F am I dealing with, Milley says. Uh, Milley thinks, well, you know, if somebody actually were trying to seize control of the government, they would try to gain 
uh, influence over the FBI, the CIA, and the Defense Department. Uh, they may try, but they're not going to effing succeed, Milley tells some of his closest deputies. So, you know, there may be some of the deputies that first told the reporters this, but again, I have to believe it was confirmed by Milley. Everything's going to be okay, he told them. We're going to have a peaceful transfer of power. We're going to land this plane safely. This is America. The institutions are bending, but it won't break. So at the annual Army-Navy game, football game, General Milley, in this telling, confronts Mark Meadows, the White House Chief of Staff, another high-profile guest. What the hell is going on here? Milley says, what are you guys doing? Meadows says, don't worry about it. Milley shot him a warning. Just be careful. Then Nancy Pelosi calls after the riot at the Capitol on January 6th. She asks him to guarantee that Trump will not be able to launch a nuclear strike and start a war during the remaining two weeks of his presidency. This guy's crazy, Pelosi told him in uh, this phone call. He's dangerous. He's a maniac. You know, she said pretty close to that in uh, her public comments. All right, moving on now to number two. This is not a book. This is an exclusive in the British newspaper, The Guardian. And I will reveal, I will report this to you. I do not know whether what The Guardian says here is true. It has to do with what The Guardian describes as secretly obtained Kremlin documents. The Kremlin is disputing the story. I will say that what is in these Kremlin documents, if these documents are authentic, and they even The Guardian kind of says we tried to authenticate it, did the best we could. I will say that what's in these alleged Kremlin documents, and even The Guardian says, we know, we tried our best to authenticate these papers, doesn't claim definitively that they are real, is almost like a liberal fantasy of what the Kremlin would have been doing to try to get Donald Trump elected. Now, having lived through all the investigations into what happened in 2016, there is simply no doubt, despite Putin's denials, you know, Trump said he accepted Putin's word over the uh, findings of our own U.S. intelligence community, that the Kremlin made a decision, Vladimir Putin made a decision, uh, that the Russians were going to, you know, use hacking and other means to try to help Donald Trump in the election. Does anybody seriously contest that right now? But what is new about this, again, if these documents are real, is Vladimir Putin, here's the lead, Vladimir Putin personally authorized a secret spy agency operation to support a, quote, mentally unstable Donald Trump in the 2016 election during a closed session of Russia's National Security Council, according to what are assessed to be leaked Kremlin documents. So that's the hedge here in the lead of the Guardian piece. Because if it turns out that somehow these are forgeries, we've already been through, you know, the unproven allegations in the Steele dossier, the Guardian doesn't want to end up being embarrassed. So this uh, meeting took place, and there was a meeting. Uh, the question is what was discussed in that meeting. January 22nd, 2016. Putin and his spy chiefs and senior ministers are all present. They agreed, according to the story, that a Trump White House would help secure Moscow's strategic objections, among them, quote, social turmoil in the U.S. and a weakening of the American president's negotiating position. Russia's three spy agencies were fine, ordered to find practical ways to support Trump in a decree appearing to bear Putin's signature. At this point, Trump was the front runner, but you know, it was far from a lock that he was either going to win the nomination or win the election. Uh, a report from Putin's expert department recommended that Moscow use all possible force, that's a quote, to ensure 
a Trump victory. Now, Western intelligence agencies are understood, that's the way the British say these things, uh, to have been aware of these documents for some months, have carefully examined them. The papers seen by The Guardian, there are actual screenshots here. So this is not some source says. The question is what's being screenshotted. Seem to represent, you see all the, the caveats here, a serious and highly unusual leak from within the Kremlin. Now, I have to add right now that the Putin spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, says that the idea that the Russian leaders had met and agreed to support Trump at this meeting in early 2016 was great pulp fiction, said this to The Guardian. So, in these papers, for what they're worth, brief psychological assessment of Trump, who's described as an impulsive, mentally unstable, and unbalanced individual who suffers from an inferiority complex. There is also apparent confirmation. Here's where I'm most dubious, because it just seems too perfect, that the Kremlin possesses compromat. That is the Russian word for compromising material on someone. Uh, gathered from Trump's non-official visits earlier to the Russian Federation territory. The paper refers to certain events that happened during Trump's visits to Moscow. Uh, Not clear what's in the appendix because the Guardian didn't see that. It is acutely necessary to use all possible force to facilitate his election to the post of U.S. president. There are paragraphs on how Russia might insert, quote, media viruses into American public life, which could be self-sustaining, and self-replicating that would alter mass consciousness. Well, the Russians basically did that through the leaks, through the WikiLeaks, through the hacks, and all of that. Um, There you have it. It's in The Guardian. The Guardian itself is being cautious in describing these papers, but The Guardian was was able to see these papers. Now, why would anybody, since Putin still has complete control of Russia, think it's in their interest you know, it's not a place where whistleblowers have a great longevity, right? I mean, Russia poisons and sometimes assassinates the opponents of the Putin regime. So you'd have to believe that somebody had access to these papers, took pictures of them, provided those screenshots to a British newspaper. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to remain skeptical. And, and, and by the way, let's say all of this is true. That is, not to say, that is not the same thing as saying, as was so uh, liberals and Democrats so fervently hoped during the Mueller investigation, that Donald Trump collaborated with Russia, that he um, worked with Russia, that he knew that Russia was doing this. It doesn't say that. It says Russia on its own decided it would be in Moscow's interest to try to make sure that Trump won the 2016 election. He still had to go out and win it, by the way against Hillary Clinton. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. Let's move along now to number three. Uh, This is not great news. It has to do with COVID-19. So I check these figures every day. And yesterday, as an example, there were more than 26,000 new cases of COVID-19. Now, while that is a, a fraction of what we had at the peak of the pandemic when there were 200,000 new cases a day, sometimes 250,000 new cases a day. It's only 26,000. But over the last two weeks, that represents an increase of 111%. So thanks in part, I would say, to the Delta variant, the number of new cases has more than doubled in the last couple of weeks in the U.S. And this is very directly related to the reluctance, the hesitance, or outright refusal of a major chunk of the country to get the vaccine. 
because the people who are getting it, 99, it's either 99.5%, 99.2%, 99.8%, the people who are getting COVID-19 now are all unvaccinated. The vaccinated people, except in a very rare number of cases, are not getting it. And if they do get it, they have mild symptoms, which is the whole point of getting vaccinated. So looking at this piece uh, in the Times, nearly half of all Americans are fully vaccinated. Cases and hospitalizations are a fraction of the piece. Deaths are at the lowest levels, some of the lowest levels since the early days. So that's good, even if you do get it. But who the hell wants to be infected and battle with this and have a serious case of coronavirus? Infections are rising in almost every state, says the New York Times. The daily case number is up 15% over the last two weeks in 49 states, including 19 states that are reporting at least twice as many new cases a day. Full-fledged outbreaks in places with low or relatively low vaccination rates, including Arkansas, Missouri, Louisiana, and Nevada. Here's Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson telling reporters the Delta variant is gaining ground. Arkansas went from fewer than 200 new infections a day in early June to more than 1,000 a day now. It's an urgent moment, says the governor, because the solution is available. People are always asking me, how do you protect yourself? Get the vaccination. The tens of millions of Americans who are vaccinated are largely protected from the virus, including the Delta variant, according to scientists. Now, the Delta variant of the virus, if you get it, is not necessarily more severe. It's just more contagious. It spreads more easily. So intensive care beds, I mean, all this is just a horrible feeling, deja vu, have become scarce in parts of Missouri. In Missouri, um, officials are asking for an alternative care site. In Mississippi, where cases are up 70% over the last two weeks, health officials have have urged older adults to avoid large indoor gatherings, even if they have been vaccinated. And in Louisiana, which has the country's second lowest vaccination rate, the average daily caseload has doubled since just since the beginning of July, so just in the last two weeks. So this is so disheartening, and the number of new vaccinations has come down by an order of magnitude. About 550,000 people a day are receiving a vaccine. That's down from a peak of 3.3 million at the beginning of April. Well, that was when there was all this pent-up demand, and all these people wanted to get it, but they weren't in the right groups. They didn't have pre-existing conditions. Uh, They weren't old enough. They weren't sick enough. We're finally able to get it for the first time. So then all those people have now gotten it. So now you're down to a little over a half a million a day. And I wish there was a way to get that number higher. And obviously it's gotten caught up in partisan politics. Number four also involves the FBI. This has absolutely nothing to do with Trump. It's absolutely nothing to do with Biden, but it is an absolute tragedy. Reading here from the Washington Post story. The FBI failed to properly investigate. How many times have you heard that phrase? It was was once one of the great law enforcement agencies in the world. The FBI failed to properly investigate serious sexual abuse allegations against Larry Nassar. He is the former USA Gymnastics doctor, according to the Justice Department Inspector General who also determined that FBI officials gave misleading or false answers when confronted about these failures. So not only did the FBI completely and totally fall down on the job 
in a way that allowed more young women to be victimized by this monster, Larry Nasser. But then, you know, misleading. I mean, they lied about it. They didn't tell the truth. So this IG's report, which came out yesterday, it does paint a really disturbing portrait. And it is one of the most shocking cases of serial sex abuse in American history that we know about. Uh, the report noted that according to court filings, about 70 women and girls were victimized by Nasser between the time when the FBI was first told of the allegations and when Michigan officials arrested him on the basis of separate information, not from the FBI, not from the Bureau. Despite, quote, the extraordinarily serious nature of the allegations and the possibility that Nasser's conduct could be continuing, senior officials in the FBI Indianapolis field office failed to respond to the Nasser allegations with the utmost seriousness and urgency that they deserved and required, made numerous and fundamental errors when they did respond to them and violated multiple FBI policies. That's all according to Inspector General Michael Horowitz, who, by the way, is a great Inspector General. When confronted with their shortcomings, FBI officials in Indianapolis sought to blame others. Now, the Bureau itself is not disputing any of this. Here's the statement from the Bureau. The actions and inactions of the FBI employees described in the report are inexcusable and a discredit to this organization and the values we hold dear. That's the response from Assistant FBI Director Douglas Leff. Now, Nasser has been accused by more than 330 girls and women, including such well-known Olympians as Ali Raisman, Michaela Maroney, and Simone Beals, of sexual abuse often committed under the guise of medical treatment. And that is what is so maddening about this, that these young women, these young female athletes, they trusted this guy. He was the doctor. They believed he had their best interests at heart, and he used his official capacity at USA Gymnastics and his medical title to gain their trust and abuse them. It is just so horrifying, and it's frankly hard for me to talk about. So what happened after the first set of allegations about NASA reached FBI officials in Indianapolis? They said they would refer them to a satellite office in Lansing, Michigan, but no such referral actually occurred. Nor did FBI officials contact local law enforcement agencies in Michigan to alert them to possible violations of state law being committed by NASA. It's just an all-out disaster, a disgrace to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, which, as I said, is not contesting this. And really, you know, it, it, oftentimes when there's not a good investigation or something, you know, we're left to kind of speculate about, well, how much damage did that do and what would have happened if they had been more aggressive and all that. Here, you don't have to speculate. You know who was victimized, the young women, the young girls who trusted Nasser. Uh, all this time passed, and ultimately he's arrested with no thanks to the FBI because Michigan state officials, you know, put together their own investigation. Number five. This uh, is going to make a lot of headlines. It has to do with the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, Joan Biskupic, uh, a former colleague of mine who covers the Supreme Court now for CNN. Uh, she's worked for USA Today in the past. She's worked for the Washington Post. She knows the court as well as any journalist and has more sources at the court as well as any journalist uh, working today. And she is reporting 
based on an exclusive interview with Stephen Breyer, that he has not decided when he will retire. And he kind of likes his job. Uh, Breyer, who's now uh, about to turn 83. And you know the deal here. The liberals all want him to retire. The Democrats want him to retire. They want him to retire so that President Biden, while he still has a Democratic majority in the Senate, you know, if one of those people gets sick, that majority goes out the window, could easily confirm a liberal successor on a court that is now six to three conservative with the three conservative appointees named and confirmed by Donald Trump, including, of course, Amy Coney Barrett, who's confirmed with just weeks left in the Trump presidency. So, you know, this is what happened where they wanted Ruth Bader Ginsburg to go. She hung on and she died at the very end of the Trump presidency. And that's why the court has an extra conservative justice. Now, I could read this two ways. Because lately, Breyer said nothing. The Supreme Court term just ended. And since he said nothing, I kind of assumed, okay, he's not retiring. To say that he's still thinking about it kind of leaves the door open, but not in a way that um, I think is going to make liberals very happy. This guy's been on the court for 27 years. Look, he's had a great career. He could hang out. I'm not telling him to retire. I'm not telling him what to do, and it doesn't matter. Nobody, including the President of the United States, can get Stephen Breyer to retire. They can push him. They can prod him, as the Trump people did with uh, Anthony Kennedy. But nevertheless, what Breyer is telling CNN is he will consider two factors in his decision. So that at least says that it hasn't been made yet. Primarily, of course, health, says Stephen Breyer. Second, the court. When asked directly over coffee in rural New Hampshire, uh, whether he had decided to step down, Breyer said simply, no. And he kind of brushed aside questions about the timing of the decision, but was willing to talk about how he would make decisions. What, and he also talked about, and this is why I think he may be leaning towards staying, he talked about the satisfaction he gets now from being a senior leader on the court. You know, he's the oldest Democrat on the court with the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And he said that his new seniority in the private discussions that justices have when they dole out the cases and when they argue what the opinions are going to be has made a difference to me. It is not a fight. It is not sarcasm. It is deliberation. So just at a time when people on the left most want Stephen Breyer to say, hey, great career, hang it up. Um, we'll give you a hero's send-off and let Biden name somebody to the court. Because you know if it happens in 2023, or especially in 2024, that Mitch McConnell is going to try to find everything that he can do to stop a Democratic president from naming another justice, just as he did everything he could do to help a Republican president name uh, the three justices that he did. And of course, he did it in 2016 when Barack Obama had nine months to try to get Merrick Garland, now Attorney General, on the court. Couldn't even get a hearing thanks to Mitch McConnell. But you know what? Under the Constitution, these are lifetime appointments. And if Stephen Breyer wants to stay on the court, I mean, a lot of people are calling him selfish. It's all about him. Why doesn't he realize that the future of the liberal cause on SCOTUS depends on him uh, stepping aside? But he gets to make that decision. Every justice gets to make that decision. Now, what Breyer is saying is, you know, if I feel like I can no longer do the job, then I would step aside. But, you know, he would have to do it. Let's see. He turns 83 in August. 
the new term starts first Monday in October. I mean, he could hear new cases and then decide to step aside before, you know, it'd still be another year to go. But that's kind of unlikely. Usually it's almost by tradition now, unless there are certain a sudden uh, turn for the worse in terms of health, a justice will not, because you have to go through this whole process of hiring clerks for the new term, which, by the way, Breyer has done. And um, usually you don't go through all of that process and the process of starting to hear cases where if you retired, you know, there might be a question of how it would be decided four to four. So if he doesn't do it over the summer, probably Breyer's going to stay on the court. That is a huge disappointment to a lot of Democrats. I'm sure privately President Biden would love to see him go, not because he doesn't like Steve Breyer. Undoubtedly, he knows Steve Breyer. Steve Breyer used to work for Ted Kennedy in the Senate. Biden was in the Senate for 112 years, so obviously he must know him. But ultimately, it is going to be Breyer's call. All right, a lot to deal with today as we try to walk you through. You know, one of the things I try to do in the podcast here is take these really complicated stories and try to boil them down so when you're just listening, uh, you know, on your smartphone or in the car or wherever you choose to listen to this podcast, you know, you get the gist of it. And I give you my thoughts and my analysis and try to make it fun and entertaining. And it ranges from Britney Spears to Stephen Breyer. So whether you get this on your Amazon device or on Spotify or Amazon Music or Google Podcasts or Apple iTunes, we appreciate your listening, and I'll be back here tomorrow with more Buzzfeed. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.